Well, are you the kind of person who gets an extra hour overnight and stays in bed for that extra hour? Or uh, do you get up and make the most of it? I think I had the joy of uh, speaking this same Sunday last year as well. And I, I get up early and my body clock doesn't adjust quickly. So instead of a five o'clock um, awakening, it was a bit earlier than that for me today. But uh, there's an extra chance to finish my message, to go for a nice long bike ride, to uh, have some time in prayer as well. And I want to let you know that I've been praying for each one of you this morning. Now, not by name, I don't know you all by name, but really praying that God would have the right people here this morning. And I believe wholeheartedly that you are not here by chance. Perhaps you're a visitor for the first time. Perhaps you're here every Sunday and have been for the last 17 years. Uh, Perhaps you're just back from the United States or whatever it might be. But I wholeheartedly believe that you are here for a purpose. And my prayer for all of you this morning is that you will leave church with something more of God. That you'll be challenged, that you'll be inspired, that uh, you will grow through uh, our time together here. And uh, perhaps that's through um, the challenge of the giving. Perhaps that's through uh, something that you read in the Bible. Perhaps it's through the worship. Uh, Perhaps it's through the message that I have. But my prayer is that you will leave this place with something more of God. I really do believe that. Our theme for the year, of course, is every day. Jesus every day. And uh, the last few weeks we've been looking at stories from the Bible of people who were with Jesus when he was here on earth. We move into a new series today and uh, looking at uh, other aspects of Jesus every day. And today looking at Jesus on the inside of us, the inner person that we are and Jesus in there. And I do want to start with a story. Um, We were aware, of course, last week that uh, Jack and Rihanna are engaged and... (laughs) You knew that. (laughs) And... We heard the story, and uh, and if you've been on Facebook, you would have seen the video clip and so forth. And it seems that the trend these days is if someone's going to be engaged, is to do it in a significant kind of a way. And uh, I was thinking about that through the week uh, when I bumped into Rihanna and the glare of the ring was sort of blinding me a little bit. It's almost like the male bowerbird has to collect all these blue objects and construct this amazing bower to attract the female but some of us didn't have to do that (laughs) in my day it was very simple and when Jane and I were going out we've been going out for about two years um, we had gone for a drive to Morpeth just to check out the little uh, craft shops and so forth and uh, the first time we did that we found St. James Anglican Church, which is a beautiful old sandstone church up at Morpeth. And uh, we just happened to walk past, saw that the door was open and went inside. And you realise that it just has that, that reverent feel about it, that sort of sense of awe. And when you go into a place like that, you don't talk about the football and those sort of things. It just has that special feel about it. And so we had a habit of uh, just heading up there, and there it is on the screen there. And um, we just go in there and we'd pray. And, um, you know, if we had a, a weekend where we were just out and about doing things and we head to Morpeth, we'd just go into the church and sit and chat about the more important things of life and pray. And on show holiday, this is why I'm a fan of Newcastle show holiday, show holiday 1984 was the 
24th of February, about 2.30 in the afternoon, if my memory serves me correct, um, we happened to be there and we were just chatting and uh, I knew that I wanted to, uh, to marry Jane and we discussed that some years earlier. Um, but it just occurred to me this particular time and place would be a great opportunity to propose to her. I didn't have flowers, I didn't have music, I didn't have a video, I didn't have a hidden camera to film her reaction, <laughs> didn't even have a ring. And uh, I just thought it was the right time and so I proposed. And so my claim to fame is that not only was Jane surprised when I proposed, that I was surprised when I proposed too because that hadn't been the plan. But we found out later on that that church that has um, very special meaning to us has an interesting story as well. On another occasion in Morpeth we uh, happened to be going around the craft shops and we found this model of the church as well which now sits on our dressing table at home. Very significant for us. But that church has a really interesting history. And it goes right back to the Spanish Peninsula War, 1808 to 1814. And uh, an an English army um, captain, um, a fellow called Edward Close, was sent to fight in that war. And he made a vow to God that if he survived the war, he would build a church in honour of God and his faithfulness. Now, those of you who are a little bit sharp know where this is going. And uh, he survived that war that finished in 1814, um, was eventually sent with duties to Australia, ended up in Newcastle, ended up in Morpeth, And they did a lot of development around that area, including helping to build the old wharf that used to be a very important part of Morpeth. And he uh, kept his vow to God and uh, built this church. Um, Started in 1837 and it was dedicated on uh, New Year's Eve 1839. So there's a bit of history. Now, I won't go so far as to say if that man died in war, Jane and I would never have got married... But my point is this, that this this man obviously had some sort of inner integrity, inner faith, where he really had a trust and a a belief in God. And he wanted to do something, he wanted to build something in honour of God. And this church still stands today. I couldn't find out a lot about him. But I suspect that the inner person was someone who was quite significant. We don't plan to construct a church, although there's been a lot of talk about it over the years, but our lives are constructing something. And that largely comes from the inner person that we are. And very simply, if Jesus is part of that inner person then what we construct will bring honour and glory to him, just like this church has over the years. I think it's a mistake to think that who we are on the inside doesn't really matter, that we can bury that deep down, that uh, our personal struggles, our quiet thoughts and attitudes and decisions we make in here don't really affect anybody else. I believe they do. What happens on the inside matters greatly and influences what you're doing on the outside. 
The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Whether that's a vow to build the church or anything else, what you do flows from your heart. And if Jesus isn't in that inner part of your life, then what you do is not going to reflect anything for him. The Bible speaks a lot about the heart. There's a popular phrase that says, follow your heart. But the Bible says in Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? If Jesus isn't every day a part of our heart, then we're going to be deceived. We're going to be deceived. It's only him who can understand it and guide us. I want to look at six references in the Bible that talk about the heart. Three of them, I think, result for when we don't have Jesus on that inside part of our life. And three of them can result if we do. The first one is a divided heart. A divided heart. That's a heart that knows the love of God, knows who he is, seeks to be with him but has other interests or priorities that have equal or greater importance. An example would be Judas. Now as we come up to Easter in a few weeks' time, we often read the story of Judas' betrayal and Jesus' arrests. And uh, we think, how could he do that? How could Judas, a person who spent years with Jesus and saw those miracles and certainly had some understanding of who Jesus was, betray him? It was because of a divided heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. With all your heart means it won't be divided. It won't have other interests. I don't know what Judas' other interests were. He was paid for betraying him. Was it about money? Was it greed? Um, Some have suggested that he didn't understand Jesus and thought it was a political thing that was going to happen, that Jesus would overthrow the oppression of the Roman government. Um, Not really sure. But whatever it was, he didn't love Jesus with all his heart, all his soul and all his strength. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus himself says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think money is representative of the distractions of the world around us. Are we missing the presence of God on the inner part of who we are because the lures of the world are taking centre stage. Is it like we have half an eye on God and, and half an eye on the stock market or, or half an eye um, on our career or half an eye on our retirement plans or half an eye on the family things that are happening? It's a lot of eyes, isn't it? <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, that our heart's loyalty can be divided. Not that we doubt God, not that we're not interested in him, but in our heart... He doesn't have the priority that he should. More time is given to our own interests and hobbies and passions and desires than delving into the word of God. And this leads to the second kind of heart that I want to look at this morning. And that's what I've called a departing heart. A departing heart. A heart that once knew God, once had that love for him, once had that closeness of a relationship with him, 
but is wandering away. And maybe not intentionally. Perhaps it's just by not addressing a divided heart. And the heart keeps dividing and dividing until it's a matter of departing. And that which once shared space with God in our heart has now just squeezed him out totally. An example is Solomon, said to be the wisest person who ever lived, son of King David. But in Solomon's old age, his wives, all 700 of them, turned Solomon's heart away from his God to their gods. They wanted idols. They wanted something that they could worship from foreign lands. And he let them do that. And he was departing. He was moving away from God. In 1 Kings 11.4 we read, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. We jump over to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now it's easy to drift away. Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, a farmer who sowed some seeds. And some seeds grew, but others were amongst weeds. And as they grew, the weeds choked those seeds out. Jesus said, that's the cares and the worries of the world. That's what can happen to our heart. It can be divided and then we can start to depart from the true and living God. But you'll notice in that verse from Hebrews, there's a solution. In verse 13 it says, encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. If we have Jesus every day, if we encourage each other every day, if we talk to one another about what God is doing in our lives on a daily basis, then I think that's a solution to the problem of a heart that would depart. But that verse also tells us what happens if we don't deal with it. If we have a heart that is departing from God, the last part of that verse says, you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And our hearts can in fact become hard. And that's the third point here. We can have a hard heart. I think a hard heart is where we, again, we've known the love of God, we've seen what he's done, but we're just blocking it out, we're turning our backs totally on him. We're not just moving away, but we're totally turning our backs on God. Perhaps we're cynical about something, perhaps we're disappointed about something, or bitter about something. In the Bible, it's mentioned quite often, in the Old Testament, we hear the story of Pharaoh, who had the Israelites as captive in, uh, in Egypt, And he hardened his heart to God and wouldn't let them go. But even when the Israelites themselves left, when they were taken out of slavery and moving to the promised land, they hardened their hearts towards God, even though he'd done some amazing, miraculous things. In Hebrews 3, 7 and 9, the Bible says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, referring to the Israelites, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. So for that time in the wilderness, they saw miracle after miracle after miracle. God fed them, God rescued them, God saved them. God gave them water when they needed water. 
They'd seen this time and time again, yet they still harden their hearts to God. It's more than just being set in your ways. It's turning your back. It's knowing what God does. It's hearing his voice. It's being, being, having borne testimony to the amazing things he does, but still turning your back on him. And it's a dangerous place to be. For the Israelites, it led to 40 unnecessary years of walking through the wilderness. That journey could have taken much less. And there are only two of them who made it to the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. The rest, everyone who'd left captivity in Egypt died and they did not enter the promised land. The nation did, all the new young people who had been born in that time. They got into the promised land. God kept his promise, but not to those who had turned their back and hardened their hearts to him. It was a dangerous place for Pharaoh as well. He lost all of his army. Everything he had, even his firstborn son, was killed. But here's some news for you and for me. If we harden our hearts on God, if we turn our backs to him, we also will lose what we have. And it's ironic, isn't it, that there are times people think this is the best way to go. God hasn't come through. I'll do it on my own. You are stepping into dangerous territory. It's easy to follow God if he's rescuing us. I imagine those few days when they were leaving Israel, uh, sorry, Egypt, and heading towards the promised land, they would have been carrying all their possessions, they would have been carrying food, they would have had livestock to manage, they would have had little children to look after, it would have been hard work, but there was this sense of hope and this sense of joy. We're finally out of slavery, we're moving to the promised land. And it can be the same for us. Initially, we might have that sense of joy about a relationship with God, and it's, it's got this hope and something new. But as the journey unfolds and there's challenges that we encounter, we can throw that back in the face of God. I recently heard someone say that Christian life's not a fun run, it's a marathon. And marathons can be mighty hard. We can say to God, you promised me that. Or I was expecting that when I gave my life for you, it would be so much easier. Or this healing I've been praying for, for myself or for a family member or a friend hasn't yet happened. Or my friends don't understand my newfound faith. My family is still dysfunctional. God, what is happening here? It's hard. It's a tough life at times. But these are the times we have to stay with God. Our hearts, that inner person, who we are, has to have Jesus there every day so that we don't turn our backs on God. Remember that there is a promised land. There is a promised land, not for those with a hard heart, but for those who earnestly seek to follow him. So there are some other options. It's not all doom and gloom. The next kind of heart, (laughs) yes, Noreen, I agree with that. The next heart is a tender heart, a tender heart towards God. That word in the Bible is used to describe a young sapling. And you imagine a little sapling as it's growing, it's flexible and it can bend. If it gets very windy, it's not going to snap, it's just going to bend and be upright again. A tender heart is teachable. It doesn't know everything already. It can be moulded, it can be changed, it's not going to snap. It's a heart that can acknowledge when we do wrong. A heart that can say sorry. A heart that can look for a better way. An example in the Bible is Josiah. Josiah was a king of Israel 
And he became king when he was only eight years old at the death of his father. So the youngest king of Israel. And there's a verse, and I've taken it from the King James Version because it actually uses the word tender. In uh, 2 Kings 22, the first part of verse 19. Because thine heart was tender, which also means responsive, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord. And the verse goes on to say that God is going to bless him and, uh, and what he's doing. Now, tender doesn't mean sore to touch. You know, if you bump yourself and it's a little bit tender and you touch it and ouch, it hurts. It's not that kind of tender. It means a heart that is loving and affectionate towards someone. A tender heart towards God, loving and affectionate towards him. Able to bend and grow as God teaches us through life's lessons. And I think Josiah is a good example of that because being a child, he would expect to learn. That's what young kids do. They expect to make mistakes. They expect to learn new words. They expect to learn how to do things. They grow and they think there's so much of life around them to learn and to find out about. But as we get a bit older, we tend to think we know it all. We've got things sorted out. We understand how it works. That's not a tender heart. It's not a tender heart. And we have to remain tender to what God wants to do with us. I wonder how tender your heart is towards God. If Jesus is part of your everyday inner person, a tender heart can grow through a clearer understanding of who he is and his place in your life. The next kind of heart is a seeking heart. A heart that seeks after God, not content to remain where it is. Wants to know more, wants to find out more. Desires to spend time with Jesus every day. It's not a burden, but something that you can't wait to do. An example in the Bible is Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a leader in uh, the New Testament church. Sorry, in the New Testament times when Jesus was on earth. And um, he was a Jewish leader. And so he came to see Jesus by the cover of night, perhaps a bit afraid of what his uh, Jewish buddies would say. And he wanted to find out about Jesus. But he didn't just come and ask one question. He had a question. Jesus answered that question. He had another question. Jesus answered that. He had another question. And Jesus answered that. And I think that's the thing about a seeking heart. It keeps asking questions. God, what does this mean? How can that work? What is it that you're calling me to do? How can all that happen? Some say because Nicodemus snuck under cover of night, he was ashamed or fearful. I tend to think that it was that nothing was going to stop him that even if it was night time, that was the best chance he had. He was going to seek Jesus out and find him. And I think that's the sign of a seeking heart, that nothing's going to stand in your way, that you're going to want to find out more of Jesus. And whatever, it, whatever else comes up is not going to stop you from doing that. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 says, If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. So I guess in a way to seek is to go on a quest or a bit of a mission to find something and a seeking heart will walk that journey with Jesus every day. Often new Christians are the ones who have that real desire to seek. Their heart's been switched on to God. There's this light that's suddenly come on in their lives and they want to learn and grow and find out all about it. 
But a seeking heart's not reserved solely for those who are new Christians. If you look at heroes of the faith, either in the Bible or people that you admire and, uh, and appreciate for their faith here in modern times, you know that they continue to seek after God. The last kind of heart is a determined heart. A heart that knows where it stands, that's unshakable, that is going to move forward no matter what. And there's plenty of examples in the Bible of that. One that comes to mind is Daniel. We did a study on Daniel last year. Daniel was offered this rich, wonderful food by the king and he said, no, that's not what I believe. That's trusting you and your food and your provision and not trusting God. Um, And he stood strong there. We know the story of Daniel in the lion's den a little later on in the book where he was determined, his determined heart meant he would not give up his prayer habits. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, were thrown into a fiery furnace because of their determination not to bow down before an idol. And God rescued them there as well. There's a verse in 2 Thessalonians in the New Testament, chapter 1, in the message translation. It says, You need to know, friends, that thanking God over and over for you is not only a pleasure, it's a must. We have to do it. Your faith is growing phenomenally. Your love for each other is developing wonderfully. Why? It's only right that we give thanks. We're so proud of you. You're so steady and determined in your faith despite all the hard times that have come down on you. We tell everyone we meet in the churches all about you. Isn't that a great verse? We're so proud of you. You're so steady and determined in your faith despite all the hard times that have come down on you. So a determined heart doesn't waver when the going gets tough. It knows that Jesus is with them on the inside every day and especially during the fiery times of life. There's a number of characters in the Bible. Noah was determined to be obedient despite being mocked. Abraham was determined to be obedient and move to a land despite not knowing where he was going. Moses was determined to get the people out of Egypt and leave them into the foreign land. David was determined to have a heart that would remain fixed on God um, in spite of his sins. Paul was determined to preach and to travel and to do his missionary trips despite hardships and storms. Stephen was determined not to give up on the faith despite being stoned to death. Peter also determined not to give up the faith. And Jesus determined that we might be saved by going to death on the cross. These are determined hearts. I started with the story of Edward Close and St. James Church. And I believe it was the inner self of him who built that church. And I asked the question, what is it you're building with your life, with your inner self? You cannot separate what's happening on the outside of your life with what that inner life is. And that's why we need Jesus every day. Can I get the ushers to hand out the weekly challenge cards? Caught them by surprise. The weekly challenge this week, and it'll be on the cards when you receive them, 
is each evening this week, take time to reflect on one key aspect of your day. One key aspect of the day. It could be a conversation that you had. It could be an interaction you had with, uh, with a work colleague. Um, it could be uh, something that's happening in the family. Um, it might be when you were feeling road rage at someone cutting you off as you were driving home or whatever it might be. But take time and reflect on one key part of your day and what kind of heart does it indicate? Does it indicate a heart that's hard, or divided, departing, tender, seeking, a heart that's determined? And I think that will give you some interesting feedback as to the kind of heart that you have and whether Jesus is part of that heart, that inner part of you all day, every day. You might ask yourself, was I tender and responsive in that situation? Or was I divided between two options, one that would be honouring to God and one that would be self-promoting and give me some personal gain or satisfaction? You might ask, was I hard-hearted? Did I turn my back on someone who needed my help? Or needed a word from God? Or did I feel a prompting of God to do something and just totally ignored it? Ask yourself if you were determined in that situation. That no matter what, you were going to respond in a godly manner. Even if those around you were not. See whether that situation reflects a departing heart. You could have done something... And you would have once upon a time, but you chose not to. Did that event cause you to seek after God some more? To look to him for direction and understanding and wisdom and clarity? I think that can paint a picture of the kind of heart that we have. I love Psalm 51. David pours out his soul to God after doing some terrible things and there's a verse in there David says Lord create in me a new clean heart and isn't that amazing that God can do that if we find that Jesus isn't in that inner part of us and is not part of our heart and our inner thoughts and actions and feelings and emotions that if it's hard or if it's moving away from God He can create a new, clean heart. To me, that's amazing news. That's amazing news. I want to give you a few moments just to reflect on this and begin to think, what's the condition of your heart, that innermost part of you? Does it know Jesus every day? Where's your heart at with God? Just take a few moments now and just quietly reflect and pray. You might want to think about what it is that your life is building around you. Does that inner person in you cause you to be constructing things that bring honour and glory and worship to God? 
Jesus, I pray for each person here today and I thank you that they are here in this place. God, I pray that we will build lives that are worthy of you, that are honouring to you, that bring glory to you. Father, challenge us if our hearts are hard, if they're divided, if they're departing. Father, I pray that you would break through that hardness, that you would heal the hearts that are not whole. Father, maybe we'd be tender-hearted towards you and towards our church family. May we be always seeking you and determined never to step to the right or the left, but stay on that straight and narrow path. And God, for those who just sense that need for a new, clean heart, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a powerful way. Father, thank you that you're a God who forgives our sins. And if there's things in our past or even in our now that you can forgive that and we can move forward and we can have a heart after you. But God, mostly I just pray that every day on the inner part of our lives we'll walk walk the journey with Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Amen.